Need new glasses or want a fresh new style? Warby Parker has you covered. Glasses start at just 95 bucks, including anti-reflective, scratch-resistant prescription lenses that block 100% of UV rays. Every frame's designed in-house, with a huge selection of styles for every face shape. And with Warby Parker's free home try-on program, you can order five pairs to try at home for free. Shipping is free both ways, too. Go to warbyparker.com slash covered to try five pairs of frames at home for free. Warbyparker.com slash covered. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. This is Sweet 16, the podcast series where musicians revisit that teenage year where everything changes. This episode was recorded in front of a live audience at the Arrays Tape Sound Gallery in London on Friday the 27th of April 2018. Our guest that night was Joe Tolbert from Idols. He joined host Greg Cochran from Loud and Quiet magazine to talk about that teenage year and play some of the music that reminds him of being 16. Evening, Joe. All right. Um, Welcome to Sweet 16, our live podcast series. The reason we're doing this is because 16 is one of those years where everything does seem to sort of change in your life. You go from being a kid and you're turning into a young adult. Kick us off with some of the background from when you were 16, like the kind of basics. Where were you and what year was it when you turned 16? Um, Oh, God. 2001, was it? 2001, just. No, 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 late 2001. Mm -hmm. I was very confused and angry. My mum actually had a stroke when I was 16, so thanks for bringing that up. (laughs) It actually was was the the biggest turning point in my life. I was very romantic and optimistic up till that point, and then everything changed when I was 16. So yeah, it was actually the, the most catastrophic and transformative part of my life. We'll talk a bit about that in a bit. Sorry, guys. <laughs> well, we'll start on a positive note. <laughs> um, and my cat died. <laughs> where were you? Where, where did you grow up? Where, where was hometown? Exeter. Okay. Um, I grew up... My mum <clears throat> got a promotion from Bristol to Exeter in the tax office. Don't worry, she wasn't one of the bad ones. <laughs> and um, we moved there uh, when I was about seven. It was... A very safe, semi-detached life. Not much happened. Discovered cigarettes when I was 12. Fighting when I was 12. (laughs) Alcohol when I was 13. But all very, in a very safe environment. There there wasn't wasn't a rough upbringing. My mother was very loving. Stepdad was a bit of a knob. But not not in an abusive way. It was a very safe place. I'm not going to paint it as anything other than that. Yeah. And Exeter is a town, is a place oh, to grow up in. All right, let's go. <laughs> a fishbowl full of divs. <laughs> full of stupid racists. Who don't like gays, but are gay. 
confused little torrid bellends um, with nothing to do but drink and fight. That's Exeter. <laughs> so good, good schools, though. <laughs> do you remember the day that you turned 16? Did you do anything to mark the occasion? Uh, oh, God. Uh, yes. Um, my mum drove me. Uh, we went for a drive, and she had a breakdown and told me that she was married before my father, and he used to beat the shit out of her. Uh, that happened on your 16th birthday? That did, yeah. She, she felt so guilty that she hadn't told me before, and she felt like 16 was the year of um, the transformation into adulthood, and that she felt that she couldn't lie to me anymore, and I didn't know she was married before my father. So it was a heavy birthday. <laughs> I'm not even lying. This is Wait, this podcast we bill it as the year everything changes, and that is it. Couldn't be more true for you, could it? No. <laughs> like literally from being from. I mean, that is that's. Um, yeah, it was why I was so keen to do it. Really, just to explore it. I've been in counselling recently, and um, I realised from uh, probably the eight. Well, yeah, from the age of sixteen till thirty-two. I felt very lonely, but surrounded by lovely, wonderful human beings. I didn't really know why. And it turns out it's because I wasn't sharing. So I thought this would be a nice way of doing that, in a very narcissistic way, <laughs> with an audience. <laughs> but um, no, 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 I just thought it'd be an interesting turn of events to see what happens. And this is what we're all about as a band, is um, doing things where you get a platform, and you could just talk about the cheeky years and how fun life is. Or you could just openly talk about how strange and and painful the banal is sometimes. But, you know, you come out and you talk about So Solid Crew at the end. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> you spoiled the punchline, Joe. Oh, don't worry about it. There's, there's more. <laughs> it's fine. There's more cats dying. Before you turned 16, what you mentioned that that was a definitive year in your life. Yeah. But what kind of teenager were you before that? I was very fat. And um, I loved it. <laughs> I was one of the only fat kids who managed to get attention from girls. Because I love being fat. And they're like, that's intriguing. Why does he love being fat? Let's go on a date. No, I, um, I was very fat. Um, but I was also very confident. And I had club feet when I was born which meant I had 11 operations to straighten them out. I have very strange feet, strange walk, strange run, can't jump, bit weird. But, um, you know, as a kid, you always want to fit in, not, not be the odd one out. And my mum was a very fiery, Welsh, four-foot-nothing woman who was just like, go out there and chew their faces off. Don't worry about it. You are what you are. Love yourself. Never let anyone tell you any different. So I did. And I, I love making people laugh. Very happy, joyful child. Yeah. Loved it. No worries, really. It was um, it's fun. It's like making people laugh around about being an arsehole. We've got a photo of you at the age of 16 up there. The people in the room can see that, but for the people that are listening that haven't got that in front of them, can you just describe what, pe what people can see, as in there's you and there's a mate, and wh where are you? Like, Just tell us all, all about right. that. That's not a mate. That's a guy in Exmouth, and we were getting drunk on the beach, and he was like, have you got a light? Like, yeah, I'm like, fuck off. I was, um, that's a swollen cheek. I got punched in the face for being mouthy. Right. By, by, and, um, the thing is, you go in small towns, you end up fighting grown men. 
And then when you go become a grown man, you look at a 15-year-old, you're like, how could you fight that? It's mental. That was a, that was a bloke with like three kids punched me in the face because I was being drunk and gobby. It's fucking weird, isn't it? But I was, I was annoying. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I'm wearing a farmer's hat. I love this photo because it kind of summed me up. I was obsessed with... Um, I won't go into it too much because, like you said, I don't want to ruin the punchline. But I was obsessed with hip-hop and garage and R&B. And I used to try and dress in, in that fashion. But obviously, living in Devon, there wasn't like, you know, a five points around the corner. You, you, and there was no internet. So I had to improvise and draw Mecca on my T-shirt with a biro. <laughs> um, but what I could do is um, shave lines in my eyebrows, which is why I've got that. But to juxtapose it, I've got a farmer's hat on. <laughs> with flaps, because I think I saw um, someone in Mob Deep wearing it. And I, they, were, they were in fucking everywhere, weren't they, in Devon? So I was laughing for farmer hats. But when I put it on, I didn't look like Mob Deep. I just looked like a fucking farmer. <laughs> so, um, Did you say that was on the beach? Um, where, where are you? That, that was Exmouth like Beach, yeah. Right, right. Was that... Uh, it's down the road from Exeter. Yeah, is that a, it's was another there a party? fish bowl? Oh, okay. Full of torrid little bellends. <laughs> He's one of them. <laughs> and he hasn't got a lighter. <laughs> no, um, yeah, Exmouth was a place you could go to um, either a take your Vauxhall Nova with the nice spoilers and all that, or go and drink cider, beat each other up. Just made it. So a you were doing the scene. second one of those? Yeah. Yeah, well, I was, I was just getting beat up. I normally just got beat up. Tell me a bit about school. Presumably, so when you're 16, you're f finishing GCSEs, potentially doing something else after that. Like yeah. what, what, how was school? What were you like at school? I loved it. I loved it. I got really excited about school because it was where all my mates were and I just loved hanging out with people and always had headphones on. I was the only, and I kept, they kept saying, you know, stop wearing your headphones. I said, no, what's wrong with it? I'm not doing any harm. And the teacher would go, yeah. Fair enough. <laughs> so I'd always walk around with my headphones on. I thought I was that kiddie in Sister Act as well. So he always had headphones on. No, I, I just, I love school. I was not very good. I was average. I couldn't concentrate. I was never good at, I, I couldn't think in class. I just think about the back of that person's head. <laughs> and I'd do little skateboard moves with my fingers. And then at the end of the lesson would happen. I didn't know what was going on. <laughs> what was there? Were there any subjects that did capture your attention that you were like, "I'm into this"? Uh, uh, art was the only one I really. Uh, English, English was my favourite. I loved English. I had a really good teacher. Teachers make everything better, don't they? That's like it, all worse. Basically, you're at the mercy of someone's passion or just disbelief in their in what they're doing. And Mr. Dudding my English teacher and he just transformed my the way I saw words I think that's you know they translate things don't they teachers into ways where you see things differently like maths is a language and I never got told that maths was uh, you know a deconstructive way of thinking where you go away and it makes you see things better they just went I just get you free GCSEs come on and you hate it 
And like if I, if I had a good maths teacher, I think it would have changed a lot. I was terrible at maths anyway, but English, I can't remember the book. Uh, Talking in Whispers, we were reading. Mr. Dunning was just so theatrical and passionate about this book that I thought was so shit. <laughs> it was so boring. But the way he talked about the situation, which was kind of like a conspiracy of sorts where a small town was being overrun by a government, nuclear holocaust fear of and such. But it, it made me realize how transcendent books can be and words and poetry. And I'll never, I'll never forget that moment that I stood up, that Mr. Dunning stood up and was just jumping about talking about these characters that he'd read and I thought that was amazing. The next time that happened was with Hal, Alan Ginsberg, and I was a lot older then. What happened at half past three when the school bell went and you left school and you were with your mates? What kind of things would you go and do? Smoke three fags on the way home. It's only a ten minute journey. <laughs> <laughs> on the bus. And then um, I'd go home and I'd watch films. And that'd be it. I'd, you know, my mum would be at work. She was always working. My stepdad would be about. But I'd normally just go up to my room and watch films. I was obsessed with films. So I'd stay either steal money from my job at Sainsbury's and go and buy loads of videos or just spend my wages on buying loads of videos. <laughs> Either way, I was just buying films. I used to sit and watch films all the time. I loved it. Hated sports because of my feet. Didn't like doing things that I was bad at, apart from basketball. But I was in Devon. There's no basketball courts in Devon. <laughs> used to play in my driveway. It's depressing. I couldn't slam dunk. Still can't. <laughs> Your job in Sainsbury's then, was that on the checkout? What was that doing? Stacking shelves? That's like a very classic 16-year-old oh, person's part-time job, isn't it? Yeah, well, oh, this is good. Yeah. <laughs> I got promoted to Tills. Greg, okay. thank you. <laughs> that was one of my highlights. Um, but I figured out that I could steal loads of money on Tills, so I liked that. And I did. What were you doing, shortchanging people? No, no, no. I'd never steal off a person. Never have, never will. No, I stole off Sainsbury's. <laughs> My mate's dad would come in. I'd give him loads of free shopping. He'd ask for cash back. 15 quid, he'd say. No, 150 quid. But I put 15 in, right? So there's only a zero difference. And if they pulled me up on it, I'd be like, oh, I miss a zero. <laughs> so I'd give him 150 quid every time, and he'd give me 100. It's <laughs> a total racket. Yeah, it was. He did a lot of shopping, that boy. <laughs> Or not. Yeah. <laughs> if you know what I mean, Greg. Yeah. <laughs> who was your best mate when you were 16? Who were you hanging around with? Jesus. <laughs> Only joking. Uh, it was a guy called Phil. Okay, what was Phil like? Very handsome. He got all the girls. I hated that. He was hard as well. Do you know, like, the hard kid. But he was cool. He wasn't like a ruffian. I mean, he, he might have been. But he was a cool kid because he moved from London and there was only like four people who moved from London to Exeter <laughs> and then three of them moved back. <laughs> um, yeah, Phil was magic. He's my brother. We used to spend every day together at some point, either at school or on the weekends, always hanging out. We watched Stand By Me and then decided we'd go on a road trip and not tell our mums. <laughs> we walked through a dike. Phil lost one of his Air Max, so we went home. It's <laughs> 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 fucking brilliant. Are you still in touch with Phil? Yeah, yeah. Is he still your best mate? No, Apart no, well like, I mean it's hard to say now. I think I've got lots of best mates. I think as you become an adult, 
you become astute at picking your friends because you know how to sift through all the bullshit. Phil's very important to me. He's like a brother, not a best friend. I haven't seen him for so long, but we talk now and again. Mm. It's important that I always stay true to him because we grew up together and he's one of the last bastions of my childhood because obviously my mum's passed, my stepdad's passed, so I don't get to recall stuff unless he's around. And he was a very good friend of mine, so yes, he's still there. Um, but I've got lots of best friends. Very popular, me. <laughs> <laughs> the stuff that you mentioned that was pretty serious in that year in your life when you were 16, how do you look back on that period now? Do you... What, the promotion? <laughs> yeah, the stealing from Sainsbury's, yeah. Mm. Yeah, how, how do you... you know, that happened to you when you were 16. You're still a really young you know, person at that point. How do you look back on that? Do you just think... You know, do you not like thinking about it? Do you try and park oh, it? No, like, I, I, didn't <coughs> I don't hide from it or anything, but... Um, I think one of the things that a lot of people make the mistake of doing, I feel, although, how can I put this? I felt like I lost my mum at that point. She didn't die, but a major stroke can sometimes take a lot away from someone. She was, uh, without sounding crude, a vegetable after her stroke. She didn't recognise me. Um, she lost her speech. She was paralysed down the right side. So obviously to a 16-year-old, to a you just lost your mum, do you know what I mean? And she was like my best mate, so it was very tough. But what happens then when you're grieving, when you lose something that's catastrophic, you go into automatic mode. You become a machine that gets, gets you through it. And then you, you kind of look back and go, fuck, how do I get through that? Or you go, fuck, that's really tough. I've still got to get through it. And um, I think I was too automatic. I think I went through the motions of pretending I was all right, being strong, you know, because I was like, uh, it's also at a time where you, you, you do put on fronts. You do think, yeah, no, yeah, I can conquer the world, but you're terrified. You're terrified of judgment. You're terrified of, am I really, you know, qualified to be an adult yet? Because no one is. I'm 33 and I'm not, I'm not going to lie. It's bullshit. No, no one knows. I'm in the music industry. No one knows what they're fucking doing. <laughs> Everyone's winging it. Jeff, our label guy, he's telling me all the time. He doesn't even know what he does at his job, do you, mate? <laughs> no, um, but it's, it's, it's about that, it, you know, it's about being honest in your adult life and go, oh, I don't know what I'm doing all the time. You know, all my mates who have become parents are the same. They're like, oh, fuck. Mm -hmm. You just get given this baby and you're like, what the f But then they go out and they're like, yeah, it's fine, yeah. It's terrifying. So I think at 16, I, I, I had to become kind of autopilot for a bit to get through it. And then it was a really slow process. And then I went to uni. I nearly lost my mind and nearly killed people. Did lots of silly things. Was that a reaction to, was that still a reaction of some of the grief that you'd experienced, do you think? That was, well, it, it came out in that form? My stepdad died in the, in the freshers' year. Freshers' year, first year. So I suddenly was my mum's sole carer. So it was a new weight, and I just had to try and figure out whether I could cope or not. But I also discovered all the naughty stuff that year. So, um, yeah, it was a mess. I was a mess. And I didn't cope very well. And I was a bastard. A real bastard. But a very loyal friends. And they stuck around. And... Uh, 
yeah, a few years later, I came through. But that was all down to being too automatic and saying I was all right. As soon as you bottle things up, you don't, it doesn't go anywhere, it just goes on your back. And the more you put on your back, the more is there to drop. And when it does drop, it's a big fucking weight. So it's hard. That's why sharing and allowing yourself to be vulnerable with people, talking about your issues. Because people always, I think, write off sharing. It's like, oh, I don't want to be a burden to them today. They probably had a long day, I'll talk about it tomorrow, and then you put it off and put it off. Your mates are well equipped to listen to your problems. They always are. So people always underestimate how much people are willing to help. And I think um, I did that for too long. Let's talk a bit about music. Um, Thank God. <laughs> <laughs> Joe's brought three tracks tonight that we're going to play a bit of that remind him of being 16. We're going to come on to that in a second. But more generally, you mentioned some of the kind of types of music you were into when you were 16. But going back a bit further than that, where did your first introductions to music come? Like, where did you, was that mates, you know, getting you into music? Was that family? How did the, the, the real kind of genesis stuff? Well, I was quite um, a lonesome cowboy, Greg. I was, I was never one to um, follow the crowd. I hated that. I hated, like, feeling like... I always find there's something sinister about groups. Congregations. I know I'm in a band. It's not the best <laughs> thing to say. <laughs> what I mean is a congregation of people all copying each other. I think my mum instilled that into me, where it's just a bit like, just do your own thing, be yourself. I was obsessed with hip-hop. I discovered Farside, Lab Cabin, California, when I was 11. My dad's colleague, we went around to my dad's colleague's house. He was an art teacher at the time. I was 11, and it, you know, this Sue, her name is, her two boys were a lot older than me. I didn't have any older brothers or sisters, so whenever I was around older kids, I just thought they were cool as fuck. And um, this one guy, he must have been about 15, he was listening to Lab Cabin, California, and he had all this, like, just hip-hop posters on the wall. And I just thought it was the coolest sound I've ever heard. Before that, it was my parents' music, you know? Um, or, like, sh shit on the radio. And I love music, always have. I just, but I just listened to what my mum and dad were listening to. I didn't really... What kind of stuff was that? Well, my mum listened to Simply Red a lot, a yeah. uh, bit of Lionel, Otis Redding, um, a lot of soul music, but mainly Simply Red, Greg. <laughs> that's, a, that's a kind of nice in, really, for, you, for us to play a clip of the first track that you brought along, which is an Otis Redding track. You brought with you Try a Little Tenderness, so let's hear a bit of that and we'll come back and chat about that in a sec. Thank you, Greg. Oh, she may be weary Them young girls, they do get weary Wearing that same old shaggy dress Yeah, yeah But when she gets weary Try a little tenderness Try a little tenderness. Joe, why does that Otis Redding track remind you of being 16? Because I, I had a realisation that I, I truly was in love with Otis Redding's voice early on. 
I used to listen to his records all the time. I mean, I don't have records, CDs. But every, any, if someone says, play a song that reminds you of being six, I play Try a Little Tenderness. 25, I'll play that song. It's, it's part of my soul without sounding like a douchebag. <laughs> but I, I mean, it's, it's only been a few years that I can listen to that song without crying. I think it's one of the most beautiful pieces of music I've ever heard and will ever hear. I think his voice is the closest thing to God I'll ever hear. And um, it's a big old fucking crescendo. And I think that's magic and simple and unabashed. I think when you listen to soul music, you realize the naivety of it is what's so beautiful. When people just open themselves up and lay themselves bare, it gives you the power to do the same is why so many people go to it when they're in times of need and that song was always something that I went back to I what well, uh, many of his songs but that song in particular I will play until I die it's a wonderful thing am I right in thinking that his voice was the a bit of an aspiration for you it was like I want to be able to sing like Otis Redding sadly so Greg do you think you sing like Otis Redding? Um, maybe when he's shit-faced. <laughs> um, no, I don't. Um, I did want to, yeah, obviously. Before I found confidence in, in, in my own voice and uh, like a, well, a, I guess a solitude in what I do, personally, I tried to emulate loads of people. Orlando Weeks was one. I just wanted to sound like Orlando Weeks. I mean, he was very cool as well. But Otis Redding, yeah, it's just... I went on a date with a girl once and she explained that he uses part of the voice, the throat, sorry, that you know when you try and talk when you're about to cry, before you cry, and your throat closes up and you have this strange tension in your voice that you, you would never have any other way. That's the part of his throat that he uses and it evokes the one, someone to cry when you hear it because it's the same, it's a psychological link to crying because it sounds like he's always about to cry so i find that very cool need new glasses or want a fresh new style warby parker has you covered glasses start at just 95 bucks including anti-reflective scratch resistant prescription lenses that block 100 of uv rays every frame's designed in-house with a huge selection of styles for every face shape and with Warby Parker's free home try-on program, you can order five pairs to try at home for free. Shipping is free both ways, too. Go to warbyparker.com covered to try five pairs of frames at home for free. Warbyparker.com covered. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? 
For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Was discovering Otis Redding a bit of a gateway into getting into more soul music, uh, soul, rhythm and blues, the sounds of you know Stax Records and the, the, the deep um, south in America? I think it was all really at the same time. Like my mum would just play anything like that. Marvin Gaye. I mean, maybe maybe Simply Red was the gateway, Greg. Maybe it was. Can I say that? <laughs> no one's thrown anything. <laughs> That's all right. But um, yeah, I think um, yeah, it was just all, it was a bit of a blur, really, in my childhood. I, I'm guessing it was all just at the same time. We haven't talked yet about how you got into making music. Like, I mean, obviously now you're you're singing, you're the front man with a band. But do you play? Do you play an instrument? I write bass. Mm-hmm. I don't like. I would never play it. I got, I'm too fidgety. I don't want to be strapped down with something on stage. I want to run about <laughs> like the princess I am. <laughs> were you playing bass when you were a teenager? No, no. I didn't. I didn't think about music in that sense mm-hmm. uh, till I was 25. Mm-hmm. I like. I always saw music as this magic experience. I always sought solace in music. Always went to music or film, mm-hmm. but I, music was like this skill set that I would never ever have mm. it was just this thing that I would always go to but not do myself yeah. until I started DJing with Dev the beardy one in the band and he plays bass but um, I was like Dev this is fucking shit <laughs> all these bands are fucking shit let's start a band and he was like yeah <laughs> and then I uh, I went around his house and uh we just played someone else. Oh, it's TV on the radio, Staring at the Sun. It was the first song we ever played together. And I was fucking awful. <laughs> but um, my point being, we, we kind of found a gap in the market, which was us, as in we weren't doing it. There was no other reason. Just why aren't we doing it? It looks fun. And if those bellends can do it, not you. <laughs> but if those, yeah. those bellends can do it, yeah. then we can. You know, I think it was at a point, like any scene, where it gets a bit bloated and cocaine You know, everyone l- looks a bit too good, sounds a bit too shit. You know, the balance is off. Everyone's just a bunch of clothes horses. It's just like, fuck you, get out of the way. That's exactly what happened with this band we were about to play, because they came and they changed everything, arguably. That's how, hi- that's how music history not, remembers it. Not arguably, it's a fact. Um, do you want to introduce it? This is Simply Red. <laughs> This is um, <laughs> this is the Strokes, and it's uh, hard to explain. Hard to explain. Enjoy.
So the year is 2001. The UK music charts are full of Shaggy and David Gray and Stereophonics and people are into new metal. I was listening to Incubus that year. I can't deny oh. it on the subject of truths. <laughs> My favourite band, I was wearing hair gel. Floating down the river. <laughs> I remember that. Um, Shit bags. <laughs> and then the Strokes arrived with this, this, this. And um, history remembers that the Strokes turned up and made guitar music cool again. Tell us how you discovered that track, that band, and why you love it. It was my girlfriend at the time who was into kind of, you know, guitar. I, I, I literally, I was religiously into hip-hop and garage and R&B. No, no other music touched the sides. Soul music, things like that. But, like, that was growing up. In my, when I found my own thing... I was like the one kid in the in the school that was a step up, and it was my thing. I loved it. I was passionate about it. And then um, suddenly, the Strokes were here, and I was like, "What the fuck is this?" My girlfriend was like, "Have you had this band?" I was like, "No," and I pretended I didn't like it because I didn't want to like copy my girlfriend. But I I I did. I was like, "This is magic." It was it was um, I mean, we all know unless you. 12. But, um, it was amazing how quickly everything changed. Everyone dressed differently and thought differently about music. People were going to indie nights again. People were looking at prototypical music, listening to television, listening to Joy Division. This is me talking about me now. My dad put me on to um, Van Morrison Astral Weeks. He was like, give up the hip hop. Don't worry about it. Because, you know, I was in... Uh, we need to put it in context. At the time, hip-hop, um, since 93, 94, was in a bit of a lull. It was that bloated, cocaine -y thing I was talking about. Well, there wasn't a lot of good stuff. But then 2000 was amazing. You had, like... I mean, 2002, you had, like, um, Dead Press hip-hop. And, like, before that, you had, like, Pharaoh Munch, Simon Says, and these huge anthemic songs. But what that did is it thrusted it even more into the cocaine vibe it just bloated crap and i was like obviously when you when you when you lose faith in the universe and l like losing my mum i just the, my bullshit meter went up i was bored it's like fuck this i like i don't want you boasting about how much money you got you know and uh, you know my mind was active in politics at the time and t you know started realizing how awful that was talking about women in in that way and Obviously, there was great hip-hop that's conscious and not that, but, you know, a lot of the stuff on MTV Bass was awful. So it was it was time, and my dad handed me Astral Weeks by Van Morrison, and the strokes compelled me to do that. And after listening to those two records, my life was never the same. Not just, I'm going to listen to this music now, there's a universe of music out there that I'm missing out on. What am I doing? Silly boy. <laughs> what about the way the Strokes looked, their attitude, their I I was nonchalance almost? I was fat, so I didn't like, I didn't do this. I wasn't skinny jeans then, was it? It was like those kind of slim, flary, kind of 70 vibes on there. Kings of Leon were knocked about as well, and they all had these funny haircuts. I, I don't know. I, um, yeah, all my mates who were, you know, better looking. I stuck, I kind of like, I'd wear hip hop t-shirts with like slim 
black trousers. And the thing is, basketball trainers became cool for indie kids. So I'd, I'd be able to get my Jordans out from like years ago because my feet are weird, so they haven't grown. So I suddenly have these Jordan 4s and everyone would be like, oh, where'd you get them? I was like, fuck you. <laughs> but yeah, it was crazy. Everything, everything changed and it was exciting. It was the first time, I feel like it was the first time that my generation had their own thing, even though it was from New York. Um, it was, that was, that was it. It was like, oh, you know, we actually have something to be excited about, our generation of career. And then, you know, the influx of bands came in and suddenly I was going out so excited and hungry about going to the Indie Nights early and hearing those, like, tracks from new bands. Like, ones that now are, like, just in the ether. Like, whatever happened to Jakobin Arena and bands like that, you know? Like, we just, all these amazing, it's like, fucking 50 new bands every week. I'd be like, amazing. Absolutely amazing. It was a really wonderful time to be alive when there's so many people proactively involved in making something new, changing narratives as you go. And like, even though it's awful now, but like New Rave and things like that that came out of it was so exciting at the time because it was like, yeah, we're gonna, we're gonna wear these clothes and we're gonna own them. We're, this is our fucking thing. That's something, you know, as a, as, a, as a teenager, having your own language of expression is such a, a vibrant thing to be involved in. So it was great. It was really cool, and I am grateful for that album. Where, where were all the kind of sources of the stuff that you were getting your new music fixed? Were you picking up magazines? Were you listening to the radio? Had you discovered, were you listening to, like, John Peel, or did you have MTV2 on at a mate's house, or wh where, were the, where was it all coming from? So... MTV2, MTV Bass, because I, I didn't give up. We'll go on to that. Hip Hop was still there. Mm, yeah, it was, but not, not so much. But we'll go on to that in a bit. MTV2 and Enemy Magazine and Hip Hop Connection Magazine. But, like, yeah, I, it was more magazines. And you know, there was 120 Minutes, which is a bit later on. I was older when that came about. But, you know, I never listened to radio, really, when I was younger. Never had a radio, but TV was a massive thing. Music TV was when they actually had music on it, instead of like dullards, like what's reality TV stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we won't go into that, Greg. <laughs> should we play? We should play the last track you've brought, but I don't think we should introduce it. I think we should just play it. But I think you've probably, if anybody picked up on earlier, you probably know what it is. And with the A to the C, that's me. MSC still fugging. Shot bends in the way when I'm clubbing. Ladies come around and they're bugging. Like if I was rubbing, play hitters there, watching and they're plotting and they're watching my stops. Watching and they're plotting and they're watching my stops. Watching and they're plotting and they're watching my crops. Never gonna stop, never gonna stop. I got 21 seconds to flow, I got 21 seconds to go. Cause if you let me, let me know, let me in the studio. I got 21 seconds before I got to go. Did you see me on the video? Oh no, did you see me on the video? Oh no. So if you let me, let me know, let me in the studio. I got 21 seconds before I got to go. Did you see me on the video? Oh no, did you see me on the video? Oh no. So if you let me, let me know, let me in the studio. I got 21 seconds before I got to go. 21 seconds. Uh, 21 seconds by So Solid Crew. So, So Solid Crew, right? If you're listening to this podcast in Azerbaijan or some far flung place that so, so Solid Crew never reached because it was a definitely UK thing, describe to somebody what So Solid Crew were, first of all. A collection of young people from a deprived part of England that started something, coined a language, started their own 
I mean, obviously they weren't the first, but they were very much the most uh, viable option to the, to the major labels. And they transformed what it was to be young and black in our country. And it was a really exciting moment to see so many positive role models in what would normally be portrayed as a gang. But um, it was really exciting and very, very cool. Yeah, it was, it was great. And I, I couldn't afford an Averex jacket. So I was sad about that. But it was great. It was, um, Garage was, you know, again, like the Strokes, so solid crew and Oxide and Neutrino, maybe even more so, and more fire crew and things like that. It was like, it was like the Strokes. It gave people a platform to actually be themselves and start something new and it was really exciting. How many members of the So Solid crew can you remember? Do you remember any of their names? Romeo Dunn, Mega Man, Asher D, Oxide and Neutrino. Uh, was Miss Dynamite in it? She was just friends with them, wasn't she? Lisa, Lisa Mafia. Lisa Mafia. <laughs> uh, yeah, that was it. I'm terrible with names. Harvey. Harvey? Who the fuck's Harvey? Yeah, That's Jordan's kid. <laughs> <laughs> 21 Seconds was a massive hit. So in a way, it, it threw So Solid Crew into the national consciousness. They like ended up being talked about in national newspapers. They were, they were seen as a sort of controversial group, which you've already mentioned. They weren't just a musical force. They were, they were a cultural force. Possibly not appreciated for what they did like in the time that they existed, do you think? Or do you, or do you think, how do you look back on that? Well, I think they were portrayed as dangerous as all white old stuffy men in newspapers do. Um, the streets kind of were the transformative version of that that made garage popularized and palatable for the middle classes. Um, so yeah, the streets was very much the, the thing that universalized garage music. But So Solid Crew were, were for me and my friends vital in, in feeling again like you own something but British and obviously for someone from a white middle class town it was very exciting and scary and new and going to garage nights was terrifying for little old me but I did it because I'm art. It sounds like so where did So Solid Crew fit into your love of Otis Redding and the Strokes? There's, there's quite a mixture of stuff there so you were going to indie rock nights you were like exploring going to garage nights we going to like raves and stuff as well like that's quite a diverse mix of stuff you were mixing all those things together yeah i always have i've always found that um going your own path is a lot more satisfying than i, I i've always felt something sinister about following a group into a room and dancing to shit you don't like <laughs> it's just weird like football it's weird i know like you know you'll there'll be lots of football fans in it but i've always just found it odd like why are you fucking caring why did you give a shit what's it what are you doing what are you queuing up for mate i'm just queuing that's what it's like it's weird i've always just found that life's too short and I've always been, maybe it's narcissism, I don't know what it is, but I've always just found if I like something, 
that I really love and it gives me a vehicle to, to feel something. As an only child, maybe that's something to do with it. It helped me explore myself without having a brother or a sister to be able to um, go into realms that I wouldn't necessarily be able to and to learn things. I think that my mother being the terrifying pit bull she was and my father being the free spirit that he is encouraged me to go my own way and I'm very grateful. But it just meant that if I liked something, I'd unapologetically like it. You know, because Devon, I'd get stick for what I liked. Not, no violins needed, it wasn't that bad. But um, yeah, I just, if I like something, I like it. And now, it just seems so benign, doesn't it? Like, of course you like everything. You've got, you've got it all at your fingertips. You list whatever the fuck you want. There's the industrial folk from Kazakhstan, if we want. <laughs> oh, Google it. Someone Google, oh, it's on pilot mode. They put their phone on pilot mode. <laughs> industrial folk from Kazakhstan. But the point is that I'm always going to do that. I'm always just going to go my own way and hopefully bring some people with me. And that way you learn so much more by just being open-minded. It's a lot more interesting and fruitful. And I'm grateful for that. Thank you, So Solid Crew. <laughs> you mentioned earlier that you were beginning to form your ideas around politics, probably around this period, like you know, around when you're 16. I mean, in terms of what was happening at that time in the world, Tony Blair and his New Labour Party had, uh, they, 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 you know, they came back for a second stint in British government. And George Bush was president over in the States. What, were you, what was your mind like when it came to politics at that point? Were you engaged? Were you, were you just learning about it? Because obviously now, you know, you're known for kind of talking about politics in your songwriting. So how did you feel back then? I, w I was already well versed in what I believed in by that point. My, my, my dad, and more so, encouraged me to throw a rubber Margaret Thatcher head at the wall whenever I could. <laughs> but I was, you know, I think it's imperative that children are taught early on that politics is simple how, where, and when is, is up to you, but it's about the nature of keeping your country people safe, warm, and fed. And who you vote for is how that journey occurs and how many people are safe, warm, and fed. So my parents has taught me that if you vote Tory, it means that poor people are less likely to be safe, warm and fed. If you vote Labour, more people have an opportunity to be safe, warm and fed. And that's the bottom line. So I got involved early on. I think that everyone deserves equal opportunity to be safe, warm and fed. And by 16, I was a right mouthy fucker. <laughs> so I talk about it as much as I could. I'm now a lot more of a, an open-eared person because I realized that I was a bit abrasive and narrow-minded because, you know, there's a lot going on. Politics is very complicated. But I will always stand by the fact that socialism seems a lot nicer than neo-capitalism and neoliberalism and all that bullshit. So, yes, 16, I was very boring. <laughs> if you could revisit your 16-year-old self now, would you give yourself any advice? advice, uh, what would you tell your 16-year-old self if you were speaking to them now? 
Fuck's sake, Greg. <laughs> what would I give, mate? Don't worry, you're not alone. Love yourself and don't ever do drugs. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think apart from that, I think, you know, I wouldn't want to give too much advice because I've learned a lot by my mistakes. So, I, do you know what I mean? My mistakes have been the most uh, influential parts of me. So, I don't think, I, I wouldn't have listened to me anyway. <laughs> Just shouted about So Solid Crew. <laughs> I hope you'll join me in thanking Joe for coming down and sharing some of the music, sharing some of the stories from his 16th year. So thank you very much to Joe. Well deserved round of applause, that'd be great. Sweet 16 is a podcast made by Loud and Quiet. You might also like Midnight Chats, the interview series that's featured guests like Johnny Marr, Laura Marlin, Mike Skinner, Charlotte Gainsbourg, Mac DeMarco and loads of others. Loud and Quiet also make a magazine. Visit loudandquiet.com for more information. Need new glasses or want a fresh new style? Warby Parker has you covered. Glasses start at just 95 bucks, including anti-reflective, scratch-resistant prescription lenses that block 100% of UV rays. Every frame's designed in-house, with a huge selection of styles for every face shape. And with Warby Parker's free home try-on program, you can order five pairs to try at home for free. Shipping is free both ways, too. Go to warbyparker.com covered to try five pairs of frames at home for free. Warbyparker.com covered. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.